I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin. I'm your host. It's another week. Therefore, it's another episode. You know the drill by now. Okay, today's guest, it's a cracker. It really is. It's James Atkins of EMF. James, the front man of EMF, and well, still is the front man of EMF. And uh, and has had a, a, an incredible solo career and, and, and has done so many other little bits and pieces in different bands. And, and we talk about the whole thing. And we talk about growing up and the songs that, that shaped him. And we talk about some some really funny stuff involving Robert Smith from The Cure and we talk about well we don't we don't talk about it in in a sad way. We celebrate the life of uh, of Zach as well, uh, um from from EMF. It's, it's it's a really nice chat and it was uh the, I I'd met James once before briefly and, and, and never really had a, a proper chat and it was a real joy uh, to sit down and and have a good nap with him, and and hopefully you're going to enjoy it as much as as I did. Um, before we get on with the episode, big thanks to everybody at the uh, Distraction Pieces Network, and obviously the the boss man over there, Scroobius Pip. Thanks to Seventy Six for producing this. Thanks to uh, my name is Ad for doing the artwork. Thanks to you lot for continually supporting this podcast and supporting the Patreon and liking, sharing, retweeting and, and doing all the social media stuff really means a lot. Um, thanks to the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen for letting us record there. And I think that's it. Um, if you're interested in more episodes and you want to check out the Patreon or you're interested in some art prints from Paul McDonald or you're interested in some T-shirts, all the merch for this podcast and all the links to all the social medias and uh, the Patreon and, and everything is all at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Let's get on with it. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. 
And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. So we are at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. It's a Friday afternoon. And sitting opposite me is James Atkins. Hello. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm feeling good, Stuart. I'm feeling really, really good. I'm very happy to be here. I feel like we've been doing a lot of talking already. Oh, it's good. I, I, I like the whole kind of meeting, meeting new people and, and, and kind of trying to join the dots of like how our paths may have crossed over yeah. the years. And, um, and I did mention to you that we have met a few times. And uh, firstly, when EMF played my venue, Pink Toothbrush. Fantastic in, place. Very early 90s. Yes, I remember it well. And then you and uh, Justin Welsh of Elastica and Nab. Is it Perushka? Is it pronounced? Perushka. Perushka. One of them. Right. And and you and Justin had a band called Asbo Kid and come and played in Camden for me and Matt Hall. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So there's plenty of connections there, isn't there? There is. There is, mate. And oh, you know a lot of people I know as well. Yes, um, we've spoke about you at length on the episode with uh, Jason Perry. That's uh, that's out, and yeah. I have recorded one with Adam Perry, uh, which isn't out yet. But again, we we, we discuss okay. we discuss you in that, and I, I'm sure you come up in conversation when had Ian Baker from yes, uh, from Jesus Jones, and and when Jim Bob uh, from yeah, Carter come on friends. as well. Good friends. Uh, uh, and did you have Ian as well? Ian Dent, or have I imagined? No, that? no. Right, okay. Right. Someone else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been Ian Baker. Right, maybe that's where I'm getting wrong. Right, James, track one. Yes. The song with the greatest ever intro. Okay, sure. Well, I am a dirty old raver. Um, I, you know, this was quite tricky, and I did think hard about it, and I was thinking, you know, can I say dire straits? Brothers in Arms, or whatever it is, the one with the massive intro, or even I want my <laughs> or the the chic one with the hand clap. You can have some honourable. Yeah, I know, but what I did, I have gone for um, Papua New Guinea by the Future Sounds of London. Um, obviously, music is emotive and all about emotions, and this 
puts me straight back in a field in the 1990s, it being damp, carefree, maybe watching the sun come up, and you know, a bit skew-if. What an amazing record. Incredible. Still sounds fresh as a daisy as well. You know, I love it. It's a dance record, but it's got so many other elements in it. I mean, it's not, it is a four to the floor, but it's got a skippy break beat. It's got elements of dub music. It's also got world music, ethnic stuff going on. And it kind of just, it's just perfect, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I interviewed a guy called Dave Spears um, okay. about two months ago, who's, um, does lots and lots of work with Underworld mm. and uh, he, he's just got this, this, this amazing shed of, full of every single analogue synth wow. you could ever imagine. It just looks like, he, his shed just looks like some kind of craft work studio and, uh, and he's currently working with uh, Future Sound of London on some new bits and pieces. Right, that is really interesting because I, I know very little about them. I, I kind of got a few of their albums mid 90s now yeah. they kind of went off my radar for yeah, a while and mine um but i would love to hear what they're up to i mean they made some astonishing records yeah, yeah. i think there's one called we have explosives which yeah. is one of those first electronics sort of in your face yeah cut up glitchy sort of records so in regards to intros yes um as a singer songwriter producer mm. how important is an intro to you both when EMF started and now? And we'll, we'll talk about your, your, your new record. Okay. okay. Um, intros, I mean, obviously they set the mood of the record, the tempo of the records, the dynamics of what kind of record it's going to be. I would always go for a longer intro as possible. When I am sat with Ian Dench writing a song, Ian is very good at putting structure and arrangements together. He will go smash straight into a verse or even straight into a chorus. Um, but I am, um, I guess it's going back to my dance roots again as well. I could, you know, give me two and a half minutes of a kick drum going, mm, mm, mm. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I guess that's the difference, isn't it? With, with, with more dance music, the songs, the intros are more structured for DJs, right? Of course they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think maybe Ian, who's, who's a very successful pop writer now, isn't sure. he? Yeah. I, I guess he's... I'm not going to fault him. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with him. <laughs> I guess yeah, he's... Someone eight bars on that intro, Ian, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess when you're writing, because who's Ian wrote for? Like... Uh, Beyonce, Shakira. Yeah, just a little... You, I mean, with that sort of music, you've got to hook him, haven't you, quickly? It's, it's yes, that. and he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's got his craft together, yeah. you know, which is brilliant. Amazing. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about Ian yes, yeah, um, yeah. a lot more as this, this podcast unfolds. Um, well, look, in, in regards to track two, um, I want to ask you about the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Um, okay. I know... I have put the Smiths down, but I'm guessing when I was a kid, there was always music in the house. I would have Simon and Garfunkel wafting up the stairs from my parents playing it. And in hindsight, maybe I should have picked something like Homeward Bound for first, you know, a song that really touched me. And I could feel. Um, yeah, I mean, I've gone for the Smiths tune. I think this is, there's something quite desperate about it and a desperation in the melody and the lyrics is uh it's grabbed me yeah and the track is 
Please, 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 let me get what I want this time. It's... Do you know the tunes, Joe? I'm quite a fan. Oh, my giddy arms. <laughs> there is a light that needs to be that is, that is it. All right, okay, that's good. Sometimes the Smiths can be a bit of a dirty word these days, isn't well, it? Well, I've just had this conversation <laughs> on the on the previous oh, podcast right, uh, okay. about how... Because we started talking about Michael Jackson and being able to try and differentiate mm. the music from the person. Yes. And as a Smiths obsessive yeah. and as a big Morrissey fan... He said some dumb shit. He really has, yeah. Uh, and it's been quite disappointing, really. Yeah. Not as bad as Jacko, though. No, right? no, <laughs> yeah. no. I would have to rethink my Smiths collection. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise. But I think the Smiths, they hook... God, this sounds, this sounds quite Jackson. Um, they hook you at the right time, don't they? Yeah, And it speaks to you. It did to me anyway, and I'm sure it did to many, many Smiths fans, that lyrically, that desperation and that feeling like an outsider. And yeah, of course, yeah. It, yeah. It, it really pulls you in. It did. And when people back in the day used to go, oh, they're just miserable. It's like there was nothing miserable about the Smiths. You know, it was uplifting. Great guitar hooks. That's, that's the thing. That's the juxtaposition yeah. of something like Ask or Panic mm-hmm. Um, or there is a light that never goes out. Yeah. The music is so pop and it is. And, it's and upbeat. Guitars. It's, yeah. and, but Moses' lyrics are quite sad. Yeah. And yeah. Like, but I think it is that confliction that. Maybe that's what it was. There's, yeah. obviously, there's something going on there which is very special. Yeah. And to this day, I'll still go back. I mean, The Queen is Dead is probably one of my favourite albums of it's all incredible. time. It's incredible. I'll just play it over and over again. Yeah. You know, Cemetery Gates and Vicar and a Tutu. It's like, yeah. come on. Amazing. I mean, just the names of them songs are yes. amazing <laughs> on their own, you know. He, yeah. you know, and Johnny Marr, uh, I, um, I interviewed Mike Joyce from the Smiths, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and when I was chatting to him, he he said that um, when the Smiths blew up, he said it, it kind of blew up, but not to, to uh, it, they were having huge success, mm. but they still felt like an underground band, an indie band. Yeah. An indie band, yeah. And, and they were saying that they were playing huge arenas in the States, the same as Tears for Fears, who at that point were seen as one of the biggest bands in the world. Of course, yeah. But he said, we were playing the same venues. But Johnny was having this creative spurt where he was just mm. writing incredible song, incredible song, incredible yeah, song. Yeah. Not only that, he was basically managing and booking the Smiths, and he was 21. Wow. Wow, I never knew that. Can you remember what you was like at 21? (laughs) You couldn't even get me onto the stage after that, let alone booking things like that. Yeah, (laughs) that's incredible. That's really interesting because I, you know, it's always focuses on Morrissey quite a lot. And I always thought just Johnny Marr was, I thought it was just about his guitar playing and stuff like that, but I didn't realize he was that involved in the whole, you know, getting Smiths there. But to be able to do all of that, and I mean, you're not developed at that age, are you? You're it's funny you should say that. Last night I went and saw Sean Mendes, the pop star. He's a Canadian pop star. And you don't know him, do you, Stuart? My, my wife's taking the kids to see him at the O2 very soon. Oh, right, OK. Well, thank, well I mean, we, we got some <laughs> freebie tickets. So I took the kids. And this was a 21-year-old kid. And he did the meet and greet in the afternoon. Uh, and he played a massive arena for two hours. And I was looking at him going, 21? Yeah. Really? Me at 21? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so how old was you when... When Unbelievable come out, 
I was 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he don't. Maybe he don't. Maybe he's got a Johnny Marr in the, behind the wings yes, making maybe. it all happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, in regards to the Smiths and, and the song that had an emotional impact on you, so that impacted on you emotionally how? Was it joy? Was it sadness? Was it longing? Um, I think it just made me listen to music a little bit closer and realise there was much more to music than just a sound. Because music is an art form, it's, it's about emotions and how it makes you feel. And it, you know, it's an amazing song. And I'm just sad, happy, uh, a bit... I'm just intrigued by it, to be honest with you. Just yeah. intrigued of what it does. How old would you have been? Well, when that came out. Mm. What is the date on that? Is that 87? Yeah. 80, no, 84. 84. Uh, so I was born in 69. So was I 15? Wow. That's when the Smiths hook you. Teen angst, yes, mate. They it? pull you yeah, in. Yeah, lots going on in a young man that age, isn't there? Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I was really into the Smiths. The Smiths, the first album. I don't even know what album that's on. Is that on one of the, uh, the first two albums, is it? Come on, you're the biggest Smiths fan, isn't 84, it? 84, yeah, it would have been one of them. Yeah, it would have yeah. been, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, in regards to the music you was being exposed to at that age, yeah. like, what else was on? Was there always music on at home? There was music on at home. My dad was a folk musician, so he would listen to lots of British folk music. He was a banjo player. Um, he would drag me around to folk clubs around Birmingham. There was all the classics on, like your Bob Dylan, uh, Steel Eye Span, things like this. So there was always music at home. I also had an older brother who was five years older, who I just used to take the piss out of his music tastes. But looking back, it was stuff like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, prog rock, Rush, yeah. and then Gong, Hawkwind, <laughs> and stuff. I just used to put my nose up at it. But I was, it was obviously sort of filtered yeah. through to my, the bedroom next door. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, when the Smiths and the Buddy Men and New Order came along, I just used to take the piss out of him. Yeah. What are you doing, you smelly hippie? <laughs> We can't, I can't mention Rush. I've had two podcasts oh, really? with the Perry brothers where they've just gone off on Rush. They love Rush. <laughs> I, I did watch the documentary on Netflix the other day. And it Do you know was what? pretty incredible. It's really good, isn't it? Because I'd paid no attention to Rush. No. And it was through speaking to Jason and Adam and them just telling me how amazing Rush were. And then you went and had a look. I thought, I'll oh, watch this documentary. They're the sweetest guys, aren't Sweet. they, Rush? There's nothing rock and roll about that band. <laughs> <laughs> And I've got to admit, I did just think, do you know what, this is amazing. And, and, and the, the, the front man, I can't think what his name is, like, um, oh, what a beautiful man. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely sweet, lovely. Sweet. All right, so for track three, James, yeah. the song that reminds you of school. Okay, um, again, I have put, can you just remind me, Stuart, what I have put? What did I You went for the cure. Oh, right, wow, 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 the cure. Okay, so. The Cure. When, we, when I was at school, we started putting bands together. And the first band I was in was with the drummer Mark Clute, who was in EMF. And all we did was Cure songs. That was our whole repertoire. So it was just all about The Cure. This was probably later on in my school days, you know. Secondary school. Yeah, secondary school. Probably fifth, fifth year, whatever yeah. they call it now. Year 12 or what, 11. Um, so, yeah, we... Uh, well, yeah, that was just my... I should have, again, on hindsight, maybe picked something like Baggy Trousers by Madness or something by The Specials or four, something. Four people have chose Baggy Trousers. It's something about it, isn't it? <laughs> maybe it's the video, because it was the video in a school and... Yep, in the playground, wasn't it? Naughty, yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's it, yeah. So there was that, there was also the specials. Um, but yeah, The Cure, The Cure hit me like a, a, 
a trap. So on the way up here today, I was looking at uh, doing some bits and pieces of prep for this, and I'm sure, mm. tell me I'm wrong, was there a TV show, like a jukebox jury... I know where you're going with this. ...where they played Unbelievable? That was our first ever TV appearance. Right, and Robert Smith was on the panel, right? He was on the panel, and then what they do, they had to review a song, and then every week they would have the guests hidden in the wings for one of the songs and then that week it was it was unbelievable I think it's probably the first time it was ever on TV um, and that everyone commented on it and Robert commented on it and he was cool he was alright all he says was like yeah it's great but let's see what they're like on their second single yeah which was Bob on really, wasn't it? <laughs> you never get a lot out of Robert Smith, though, do you? No, that's it. But um, so we kind of jumped out and went, "Bada, hi, we're here." And Robert was really sweet. But I think there was an instant where Derry. It was the time when we just give the press whatever they want. I think Derry was really abusive in the press towards Robert Smith, calling him a just a nasty, being nasty, um, which was heartbreaking for me because I absolutely loved Robert yeah. Smith. And then I met Robert Smith at the Brits and he made a beeline for me, he comes straight over to me. He goes, what's this about calling me a, a, a fat C word like this? And I was just like, oh no. And the only thing I could think of was doing, I was, all I did was go, yeah, and what of it? You know, <laughs> and fronted him. And for years, I felt terrible. I felt really bad. I wanted to write him a letter to apologise. <laughs> say, for a start, it wasn't me, and I love you. You know, you're a massive part of oh, my life. No. You know, I, you know, why do you think I sing like this? Because I'm confident in you. Like <laughs> oh, God, you meet your heroes, and he's, he's fronting you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think I did say something to the words of, do you want to go outside now, then? And it was just like, well, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, he paid But, you know, in, in all fairness, he had all his band all lined up behind him, and he was like, you know... <laughs> and Aggie Robert Smith, I can't picture it. <laughs> yeah. Robert Smith spoiling for a rare. God. <laughs> but I want to apologise to him if I can. Just if I do meet him against you, I don't even... It's going, what's this on, Stuart? Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> So, what, what sort of memories does that evoke? That's, you know, th th I should say that the song is, is 10.15. 10.15 on a Saturday night, yeah. Um, it's a great record. It evokes memories of first band rehearsals, which is always the greatest part of your life and the time of your life. You've been in bands, Stuart, you know exactly. Those magical moments, you're set up in a church hall, or for us, it was a disused barn up the road. It's all to come, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and just, you know... Obviously, the music you're making is absolute racket, but how much fun. Yeah. The best fun ever. Completely. You know, pretending you're, you know, and you listen to a Cure record and you try and play those records and sound like the Cure. Yeah. You just want to be the Cure. Yeah. So that was my memories. And, I, you know, and I was getting into rock hard hairspray and spiking my hair up and being a bit of a goth as well, which, you know. But it's, it's, so, it's so weird as well that you, you say that you know, about wanting to be the cure and things like that and, and, and spiking your hair like Robert Smith. Me and all my pals that were, were all into skateboarding, when your band come out, we all wanted to look like you. That's mental. And like, you know, we, we, was, we was all wearing clothes that EMF wore. It was like... Isn't that a funny old scene? They, were, they were the band that like... The, the, you know, the, the stylish band, right? Make no mistake. Make no yeah, mistake, mate. Well, like, yeah, I mean, we kind of... That came a little bit, well, not too much later. I mean, some of those early, early photos were looking pretty yeah. dodgy, man. <laughs> yeah, but you not know? at the time you would have looked right, yeah? 
Yeah, well, okay. I mean, we had like puffer jackets on and baseball caps to the side. And it was Derry who hooked us up with a load of American skater types. And it was uh, Sessions, which was a shop in Chicago. He used to send us boxes of really good American skateboard. Yeah. And then we hooked up with anarchic adjustments. Yeah. Um, and they were just all over us, you know, because, you know, we were getting American TV and doing yeah. Letterman show. So like, yeah, have a box of anarchic adjustments. Yeah, so we were course. getting from head to toe in this anarchic adjustment. Yeah. And people couldn't get it in the UK. And then yeah. I guess shops like Slam City Skates were starting to stock it. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was just everything fell into place. Really. And Slam City Skates, I think the guy behind the counter was Ian Baker, right? I think it might be. Uh, yes, I think it was. Actually. <laughs> it, it was, it was. <laughs> um, wow. So where was school? Um, it was in the Forest of Dean, which is in Gloucestershire. Okay. Did you go to school with any of the lads from the band? Uh, all of us, apart from Ian. So Zach and Derry were a year younger than me, and Mark was in the same year as me. And then Ian lived in the city up the road, Gloucester, the big city. And so at school, being into bands and stuff like that, and just looking at the time frame of stuff, was Ian already someone that was on your radar as a a proper musician, for want of a yes. better description. Yes, yes. I said this, I, I remember this the other day. When I was at school doing my GCSE music, we had a school trip to go and watch this virtuoso classical guitar player, this young man, in a, I, thought, I can't remember, it was like in a church hall or something. And when I got there, it was Ian. So, I mean, he's a few years, a couple of years old. He's not so much older. Yeah. And they were saying to me, yeah, he can play classical guitar, but he can also play like Jimi Hendrix like this. So I got talked to Ian and we got friendly and then obviously I got to uh, see him and his bands. He was always a bit of a hero. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised he could have joined us a lot really. <laughs> <laughs> he could have easily just laughed us off and says, oh you, no, you're stupid. And so <laughs> you say that a school trip took you to that. So yeah. I take it you, you were studying music? Was that? Just at a GCSE level. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved playing the guitar. I always wanted to be a guitarist. Why didn't you play guitar in EMF? Because the first rehearsals we went to, Zach was on guitar, I was on guitar, Ian was on guitar, I think Derry might have even been on guitar as well, so we, we had to kind of work out other roles for each yeah. other. And I went, all right, I'll sing, go on then. And then... So was you a show-off though? Was you like, did you like being really, at the front? No, but you know, I used to listen to music obsessively. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of you know, knew how music was structured and put yeah. together. So was that kind of creative interest and thirst supported at school? Um, not the school I went to. I mean, I am a teacher at the moment, a music teacher in a secondary school. I'm a secondary school teacher. But uh, back then, this was a secondary modern in a really deprived area. Forest of Dean, a forgotten place. The education system was awful in the early 80s and stuff. So saying that, though, I did have an amazing music teacher. It was this guy called Mr. Douglas who... He was a black guy from Gloucester, and this school in the Forest of Dean was predominantly white kids. Um, and he was, he was quite young, he was only about 21, and he'd been playing in bands, and I think he'd just finished a, a tour of Germany. So he, he was quite hip, an amazing guitarist. So now I'm thinking back of it, maybe he probably did push me to kind of, you know, and he got, that's right, he used to do me loads of tapes of stuff like Miles Davis and John McLaughlin and all these crazy jazz musicians. So yeah, maybe that was quite inspiring actually, thinking about it. So, you're, I didn't, you're a teacher now. I am, yeah. Uh, do you teach music? I do teach music, yes. Yeah. 
I don't think of myself as a music teacher. Though. It's more of a secretary school teacher because it's quite yeah. kind of a big brush, isn't it? I do. You know, so, with the greatest respect to, to your age, because we're not too we're not too far apart mm. in age. Do you not find that some of the parents are like that? Teacher's a dude from EMF. Do you know what? I'm actually older than most parents now. <laughs> I'm certainly good. Parents' evenings can get interesting. Yeah. And you know that parents are making a beeline for you. You yeah. know what's coming. So uh, That's great. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny. Yeah. The kids haven't got a clue what's going on or who yeah. I am. You know. Brilliant. Okay. Um, also, in, in, so you say you went to school with a, the, the, a lot of the guys from the band. Yeah. Um, and he was already sort of making music and stuff like that. Well, I should ask, did you enjoy school? No, I hated it. Really? Yeah. For, for what reason? Um, I moved, because originally I was from Birmingham, so I didn't join the school till I was in the second year then. I never really settled. That can be tough, right? Strange accent. I had a Birmingham accent. They all spoke weird West Country. Yeah. They, yeah, they all thought I spoke funny, but it was actually them who spoke funny, I think. Was there a, a group of you that you, you, know, you felt a connection with, or did you feel yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, there was. I mean, towards the end of the schooling days, it used to be me, Zach and Derry from EMF, all hanging out in the music room at lunchtimes and break times. Yeah. So we, we did kind of, you know, meet eventually. Yeah. But other than that, it was quite hard work. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, let's, for track four, ask you the first record you remember buying. I've completely lied here, haven't I? Um, <laughs> it was a jam. Do you know what? It wasn't the first one I bought. It was actually given to me on my 10th birthday. Okay. By one of my brother's older sort of punky mates. Eaten rifles by the jam. Great. So how old would you have been when you got that? 79, like 10 years old, 11 years old. So obviously at this point your brothers are listening to prog. Yeah. And like, and I guess by then, you maybe I don't suppose you've discovered the cure just yet. No. So, although they did come out at the same time, they, they, they did. They, that, that, or that, that that single did, yeah. Yeah. But the jam. Did you get anything from that? Did, could you hear the kind of the urgency and the the anger and the fire in in, in the jam at that point? Yes, there's something went on, especially those first few singles in the city and stuff like that. It was very angular guitars, angst, and something about Weller's vocal, which is very angst, his lyrical contents. Um, yeah, it sounded very different to what my brother was listening to. So, because, uh, you know, I know that the jam get thrown in with punk, um, but, yeah. you know, it was, I, I guess it was in and around the same time, the early, early punk stuff, uh, the early, early jam stuff. Yeah. But I think their stylings were very different. And, and, and I, I think, think so. just the kind of, I guess their social conscience with the, with the pistols and stuff like that. And, mm. But I think Weller and them early jam singles, he, he, he had something to say, didn't he? And, and I think it resonates that the, the anger and, and, you know, and, and the, the, the spite in what yeah. he was spitting. Like, yeah. I mean, you can listen back to it now and it does sound a little bit cheesy, what, yeah. he's, what he's, he's yeah. actually singing. Um, yeah. Lyrical. Sometimes it sounds a little bit sixth form yep. band vibe. Yeah. But he would have been. Yes, that's it. He incredibly was totally young. young. Yeah. yeah. And obviously he wore his influences on his on his shirt. Whatever. He was obviously a massive Who fan. Yeah. And he was obviously a multi. You know. Yeah. A, a, 
Yeah, but he, wrote, he went on to write some great tunes afterwards and some great, really, some of his ballads are amazing. Yeah. You know, English Rose and stuff like that. Incredible, Beautiful record. You know, so he's... Is she a Star Council fan? When it first came out, but then I realised it was a little bit too smooth. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a great way of describing <laughs> it. It, it. It got a bit too wanky for me as it well. It did, didn't like, it? Yeah. yeah, when they're all cresting each other's hair and stuff. And Not feeling that. <laughs> I wanted angry Weller. But, you know, he was obviously, he was into that Philadelphia sound and brass and was just doing what he does. And to be honest with you, I can't listen to Paul Weller's new stuff. It bores me senseless. It's so strange. It, 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 I've got so many friends that just think he's the greatest thing mm. ever. And, yeah. and I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And Not even the early jam stuff. Or just oh, no, the jam. I love the jam. I love the jam, yeah. but now, yeah. And, and, and like you, I liked... I like Walls Come Tumbling Down and, and, yeah, and, it, you yeah. know, and I like yeah. a lot of the early, early Style Council stuff. But as it went on and then the solo stuff, it just didn't do it for me. No. Like, I'll, just, I'll just don't... Yeah, that Wildwood and that, it, was just like, it sounds like a middle-of-the-road record. It, it's, Some people might get it. Yeah. Maybe that's what we should be listening to these days. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Middle-aged, middle-of-the-road music, I don't know. No, we're not no, going there. Right, you you, right, swer- right, you swerved the, the, the Dire Straits intro, so yeah. uh, <laughs> we're still down with the kids, mate. <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry. It won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each app. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Let's talk about the, the, the sort of the, the, the formation of, of, of EMF okay. then at this okay. point then. So yeah. how old was you when, obviously you, you went to school with Zach and Derry. Yes. 
we'd all been in bands at different times with each other, apart from Ian, this is, uh, as we were growing up, going for our school days. Um, we decided to put another band together. We had the name EMF, and it was just me, Zach, and Derry. We had no songs. I don't even think we even picked up the instruments. We had the idea and the vibe and the attitudes. We used to just, we had a, a village hall that had jumble sale stuff. We used to just get dressed up and jump around on settees. So yep. there was no, it was a laugh to start yeah. with. Um, and then I'd been in touch with Ian up in Gloucester. Ian had been in a band called Ackman Say It, which we'll come back to in a minute, I guess. But so Ian was a serious musician. He was great and his band was brilliant. We all looked up to him. And me and Ian had been getting on really well. And he'd, he'd gone on a road trip somewhere and he was coming back through Monmouth. I think he just split up with his girlfriend or something was going on. And he called me on a landline because there's no mobiles. Of course. He says, oh, what are you up to? And I says, well, I've got my mates, you know, we've got EMF around here. We're just having a bit of a play. Not, you know, playing around. Yeah. So Ian come along and he, he, he likes our energy and our vibe. So I said, come on, Ian, let's get some stuff going. Um, so we, Ian joined EMF. Um, and then I would just spend a, spend a few Saturdays going up to Ian's in his mom's house where they had an old piano and he had a very primitive synthesizer. And we wrote a bunch of tunes. That, the, and the first ten tunes that we wrote became the first album. And so... That's it, really quick condensed, that is well. But being where you were, th you know, there's that, I guess, maybe a misconception that to get signed and to get noticed, mm. you've got to be in London. And how, how did you, how did you get, sort of get noticed? And, and, and what, what, what happened there? Did you... Was it a case of sending demo tapes? Was it a case of gigging hard? And I think it was gigging. It happened really quick, so it was a complete whirlwind. We got, we booked a gig in our local pub. It was called the Bilson. Held a couple of hundred. The, we wrote, we thought, right, we better finish some songs off, write some songs. We did this gig, and it was absolutely rammed because we obviously bigged it up. Um, so the first gig, every, the first three or four gigs were just insane, just like three, four hundred people cramming in, climbing through windows and stuff like this. And we thought, oh, something special's going on here. I don't think we had any demos or anything like that, but we had a few little contacts. One of them was this guy called Nick Mander, who he ended up being our A&R guy, who was local to Cheltenham. But I think Ian had a few contacts from his band at Apple Mosaic. So we just says, look, we've got a band on here. You need to come down and watch this. And first of all, I think they were trying to get us to come play in London, do London showcases. We were just like, no, we're not doing that. So come down to us, because like, look what's going on. This is insane. Was that a conscious decision? Was there a bit of like? I think it might have been actually. I don't know if we were that clever, but yeah. Um, Probably we picked it up and they said, yeah. oh, yeah, let's go and have a look at this. This, this sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So, and then I remember one night we played... I love that, though. Yeah, That's we, pure Tony Wilson, <laughs> isn't it? Like, you come yeah. to us. Like. But one of the, there, was, and there was one guy at night we played the Bilson and I think one of the island A&R guys came down and they wouldn't let him in. And I think the guy on the door is a guy called Boot Lane or something. You ain't coming in. Who do you think you are? Something like this. And he goes, well, I've come from London. I've come to see this band. So I think it's, so yeah, they kind of saw us in our own environment, which I, I think is really good. Thankfully, we didn't have to do London showcases yeah. and really tour and work it. But we knew no different. We kind of thought, oh, wow, this is what happens. Did you know you was good? We certainly told everyone we were good. We didn't know, yeah, I don't, no, I, I mean, I never really, as a singer, I never really had a, ever had any confidence. But really? Yeah, yeah, I used to find it really hard. 
you know, I should have enjoyed EMF more than what I did, to be honest with you. It was, it was a kind of a struggle a lot of the time, you know, not, you know. Did you feel the pressure of being out front then? Yeah, I just didn't think I was that good, to be honest. You know, I didn't think my voice was that good. And there were some nights when it was magical and brilliant. And then, you know, two out of three gigs, it was a struggle. Very uncomfortable on stage. Which, looking back now, is kind of part of the charm, isn't it? Yeah, you know, completely. You, you know, you look at Terry Hall in the specials, you know that guy is not comfortable on stage. Yeah. You know, and that's what makes it, you know. And, I mean, sort of post-gigs, like, how would you... Was you critical of yourself like, walking off stage and things like that? How did you deal with compliments? You know, did you want to hear people t when they told you that, you know, they thought you was really good? Did that, did that help or was you... Yeah, I mean, we lapped it up. Yeah. You know, it was the, the greatest thing ever. Pre predominantly you as a frontman I'm talking about now. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be a pop star, you know, and then to be in that position and people getting recognized, you know, recognition. Yeah, it was amazing, it was amazing. So let's talk about fame then. About who, sorry? Fame. Okay. So how was fame? Like, because, I mean, it's unbelievable. Number three in the UK? Yes, number three in the UK. Number one in America? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, man. Come on. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but you was a beautiful band. Do you know what I mean? You all were very, very good looking mm, lads. Thank you. Sure. So, <laughs> I mean, there must have been some, you know, some incredible temptations to... To, to just lap up everything that was being thrown at you. How did, how did you deal with fame? Um, I sort of went inward a bit. Like I say, I should have enjoyed it much more. If I had my time again, it's the only thing that would change. I would probably enjoy it a bit more. I was looking at those other guys in the band, like particularly when we got to America, we're going across America, those guys were having a ball. And I was kind of just a little bit wrapped up in my own, you know, what was going on. I don't know what was going on. I did enjoy fame, though. Brilliant. You know, walking around, going, getting in clubs and gigs and guest lists and you know turn up at festivals and it's, it was fantastic but but not enjoying it as much as you know i guess it's easy to look back in hindsight and say you could have enjoyed it more but yeah that was you at the time right it was yeah that's exactly it isn't it maybe it had to be like was that. you what was you was you conscious of like where you wanted to take this you know was was you was you one of the people that was sort of, sort of focused on sort of organising things and, and trying to sort of... No, not at the time. I was kind of just a bit didn't know what was going on, to be honest with you. Um, it, I did think that we were going to be... go massive and massive and I thought we were going to be like a stadium, Depeche Mode-type bands. And it never quite ended that way. Yeah. Which, you know, is a bit sad, but it, I can't really should be proud of what we did really completely but uh you know it kind of we were just on a whirlwind craziness and by the time we got to the third album it didn't really hit home that we kind of lost that connection with each other with what we were doing and with our fan base just because you're so just because everything's just mental around you you know so the connection within the band had, had fractured at this point yeah i think so i mean people are you know getting older in different relationships you weren't those schoolmates anymore yeah winding each other up you know we never really fell out or anything but it goes back to what you said earlier about when you're in that church hall it's the best time right because oh, it's it all was. ahead of I you mean, if I could have that again that was brilliant yeah. you know um, 
Yeah, there was a yeah, it's a strange one really. Okay, so well, I'm imagining looking at the 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 track that you've chose for the next one, um, which is when I, I imagine you you've probably maxed this 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 time, and so I ask you uh, the song that soundtrack your clubbing years. Okay, I've picked the Happy Mondays, Hallelujah, and I've picked the Weatherall mix. Oh, so good. Could have been could have been good for the intro as well. That one. Could have, couldn't it? Yeah, Rowetta's vocals at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, I mean, what can you say about this record? This is when dance music was great. I mean, I didn't. It took me quite a while to understand dance music. Um, kind of got into Balearic beat stuff to start with and more formulated electronic music. But when this came out, you know, it's got gospel. It's got yeah. guitar riffs. You yeah. know, it's 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 magical. Ice. And it, it is that remix as well, isn't it? It is. It, the re that remix is something about that remix. Yeah, and, and it does signify so much about that time. When, whenever you watch films like 24-Hour Party People, anything around that kind of hacienda yeah. crossover of the rave scene into the indie scene, yes. that opening bit of Rowetta's, it, it's always going to be yeah. right at the forefront of it, isn't it? Because it does it just sum up yeah. that sound of that time. It does, yeah, totally. So where was clubbing for you? Was you, was you clubbing in London? Was you, had you, did you relocate to London? No, I mean, I moved to London a couple of years before EMF started when I was really, really young. This was like 16, 17, and I tried in 1988 to go to some of those clubs like the Mud Club and the Brain Club. But it wasn't. I didn't. It wasn't really there, like everyone said it was happening. Yeah. I remember sticking a, a, a smiley face bandana on once and going down the mud club, and it was just like, it's not really. This isn't really going on, yeah. is it? So I went back up to the West Country. We got our band together, and then this was around 1990. And things. I mean, everyone says it happened 88 and that, but it didn't for us, you know. Um, it probably did in Manchester and places like that, but. Um, it, it, there's lots of free parties, not so much clubbing, making your own entertainment in the forest, going out. Certainly, when I went to America, that early, late 90s, when I came back from America after doing like a few six, 12-week tours, the place, especially the Gloucester of the Forest, it, it erupted to the point where I was coming home one night and there was roadblocks on the roads because of, there was some illegal rave going on in Cinderford where we grew up, and then it, that's when it really kicked off. So it was more outside free parties yeah. for us. And it was all generally electronic music, sort of clubbing and stuff like that? Yes, it was. You know, acid house music. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so fast forward to like maybe 91, 92, um, you know, did, the, did indie clubbing start to sort of... Uh, have well, I moved to Camden. That was kind of the indie central, wasn't it? The feet first? Yes, feet first. <laughs> was that down the, the palace? Camden Palais or Coco now. Yes. Yeah. That was probably one of the only ones I went to, actually. Yeah. We did... Um, yeah, Camden was just a good mixer. Yeah. You just go in there and just see all your, your, your Britpop stars yeah. at the bar. <laughs> um, and then there was a few sort of off-the-rails ones like Smashing. Do you remember Smashing? Of course. Like, very... Bit more 60s psychedelia. Smash. I don't know what they yeah. had going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, but I said to you before we started recording that, that I have this, this, this thing that I, I do feel that, that that British scene from sort of 90 to, to, to 94, pre Britpop mm. and, and kind of post Manchester, just gets overlooked. 
Yes, it is really funny. When people think of the 90s, they go automatically blur. Yeah. Whenever you see any kind of sort of mm. advertising for 90s events and things like that, it's generally got a Union Jack on it and, yeah, and, totally and Liam or, or, or Damon. Yeah. And, and neither of those bands went to number one in America. No. And did, I believe Jesus Jones right here, right now, did that? I think that did, yeah. I think that did as well. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and you just think, that scene, I don't know if it was because it was, I think with Britpop, so many of the bands had a very similar sort of structured sound. Mm. And, and I don't mean that in a negative, I, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed that scene and, and, and the music that come out then. But I think just the hybrid of stuff that was happening in the UK when EMF were at their biggest, you know, with the likes of the Stuffies and Carter and Senseless Things and, you know, just the bands I've just mentioned there, none of them sound like each other. No, but there was, that, yeah. but there was so much like colour yeah. as well. When I, I was, when I spoke to, to, to Jim Bob, um, I watched the video to, I think it was after the watershed, or was it only even born across? After the watershed, I believe. And, and looking at the, the, the crowd that were dancing behind them in the video, and there was kids in shorts with pop kid t-shirts on and goths, and there was like people with like Morrissey quiffs, and it was just a real mixed bag. Just of... an amazing mixed bag yeah. of, 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 of colour and of youth cultures. And, and I, I think that's, I mean, when I first went clubbing at the the club I work at now, walking in there and hearing all this different music and seeing white kids with dreads and shorts and, and seeing people dressed like Robert Smith and there was so much stuff to see and different sort of cultures. It was so exciting. And I think yeah. the Britpop thing was quite regimented in its look and its sound. Um, as was the Manchester thing. The Manchester thing was you got your flares, you got your T-shirt, and you know you all had the Ian Brown haircut or, or the Sean Ryder haircut, and and you all danced like bears. And, yes. <laughs> and, but I think post that it was just and, and another thing that I thought was really good about all of them bands from that era was performance, mm. because you go and watch Oasis, and I'm taking nothing away from my, you know, I rate them as a band. He stands there, yeah, hands behind his back. There's not a lot going on, is There's there? not a lot to see. No, no. You know, when you go and... When you went to see the Roses or the Mondays, they're not performers. No. You went to see the Senseless Things, EMF, Jesus Jones, Carter. It was raucous I, I and it was the, explosive yeah, gig, on stage. Yeah. I think the gig were events. And I, think, I was just trying to think... That the thing that maybe held all those different people together was the event of the gig. They were gig-goers. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it used to be about, going to see a band, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Um, what did you want from clubbing? From clubbing? Yeah, what did you want from it? I, I used to find clubbing quite dull, to be honest with you. So weird, James. <laughs> Every single person said that. Yeah. Every single person that's been in a band or a DJ or a producer or a, you know, whatever. They've all sort of said, yeah, yeah, do you know what? Like, we're really like massive into it. No, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, obviously ecstasy helps, but I used to enjoy the after shows, after the clubs. And, yeah. You know, that was more fun. Getting home and playing your own record collection. You know? <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about um, the immediate um, sort of fallout of 
I must say fallout, like the, 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 the first hiatus of, of EMF. So that would have been when, 94, 95? Yes. Yeah, well, we did the third album. You feel, talking about it falling to bits here, Stu, a little bit? Is well, that what you're asking? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we recorded a third album. It cost a lot of money. Yeah. The record company were just saying, well, there's no, no singles, nothing. Uh, and we got dropped pretty quick. And then after that, it was quite hard to survive in a band when, you, when you're not selling records. Yeah. You know? Um, if it had been kind of tailing off quite a lot, since unbelievable, you know, it was kind of quite high. Um, and then... Yeah, but you set the bar high there, right? Yeah, uh, we did, a, a, you know, a US yes. number one, like, where can you, where can you go from there? I know, we could have done another five or six of them, then I would have <laughs> <in> my <laughs> yacht up the med, wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and then things kind of got a little bit strange. Our Zach went off the rails a little bit. Was that happening in the band? That was happening in the band towards the end, and unfortunately we had to let Zach go and and after that it was just rubbish really you know it was kind of just we did a few gigs and it was it just felt a bit um Derry went off and did another band and then you know I think after a while Zach got carried together which we talked about earlier mm -hmm. didn't we so yeah it kind of just felt a bit but to, to be honest, it, it wasn't really that upsetting at the time because it was just like, it must be, I really kind of had enough of this. Oh, really? Yeah, lost the way a little bit. I'm, you know, in looking back, I should have sorted my shit out, really, got it together and just go, right, this is what we need to do. Let's do this. And I think we did try. And I think, you know, we kind of went a bit left field with our writing and we, we did a double album for the last album and it was had so many songs there, which is, they're not accessible to anybody. They're just... It, it felt like experimental. Yeah, and it was. But, you know, we thought we could do anything. And obviously, we <laughs> just completely messed up. And we did try to write a pop single just to try and claw it back. But yeah. by that point, it was like, this is horrible. Yeah, so. it felt like that. It felt like you was trying yeah. too hard. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're young. There's so much going on. You've, it's so hard to lose your way. I really don't understand how... You know, amazing that these bands that get past five, six albums. Incredible. There, there aren't many of them anymore. Well, there isn't, is there? Yeah. 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 Uh, Just so focused. And so, at that point, you know, you'd, you'd said, you know, you, you, you wasn't necessarily too upset about the, no, the sort of, the, the, no. the, you know, the, the, the breakup of it or the yeah. hiatus, whatever you wish to yeah. sort of call it. What, what did you do initially? Just sat there and enjoyed the fruits of what I'd done for the last five, six years. The money had started coming in, had a nice flat in Camden, relaxed, parted, and I did do some bits and bobs of music. I had a little home studio set up. Um, not a great deal though, I wasn't very productive. For about 15 years I was really unproductive. Did you enjoy that time though? I think I was a little bit lost to be honest with yeah. you. You know, it's sort of, you feel, well, what are you going to do now? It's quite yeah. here, I can't retire, no. So you know, did you feel that kind of tag of being James from EMF? Yes, and I, I just, yeah, I mean, I did a few little music projects. There's one called Cooler, and we got signed to Polydor. And thinking back, a, a band getting signed to Polydor and getting an advance and doing all these amazing things, and I never really, at the time, I was thinking, oh, this is shit. 
You know what I mean? But thinking about it, it was probably quite an amazing achievement. Yeah. But compared to EMF, you know, once you've been up there, you know, once you've seen the stars up there, it was everything else, you know, sitting in a transit van and going playing, you know, Bedford on a Tuesday night was a little bit, all oh, right. So after the kind of, you know, you, you had split and you were, you know, mm. doing bits and pieces, were you, were you still kind of standing in touch with the rest of the band and, and you know, keeping an eye on what they really were all doing? I Zach. Um, me and Zach were always the closest. Um, Ian was very, very busy. Uh, and Derry and Mark, I think, moved back up to the West Country, so I didn't really see much of them, yeah. to be honest. And so was you, was you sort of still in, in touch with Zach when he, um, you know, because he passed, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, right up to the end, I mean, we... You don't have to talk about this if no, you don't No, 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 it's absolutely fine. It's, like, it's nice to talk about. It's nice to remember him. Yeah, he was... Um, me and Zach were hanging out quite a lot. He was getting into some right pickles and, you know, it was heartbreaking to see. I thought maybe he'd got through it and sorted himself out, but I actually, the, the, the new year it happened, I went to Amsterdam with some friends, and then when I came back, I got into the flat, and I had a phone call from Richard from Poply itself, saying, is this true about Zach? And I was going, well, I haven't heard, what, what, what? And then he told me, and it's, you know, he dropped it on me, and it was like, whoa. And that was, you know, it was a big thing. So, did it feel like at that, you know, not in the initial, uh, initially hearing that, but sort of moving on a few years, did it feel like to do EMF shows again was was a, a sort of a fitting thing to do in, in Zach's memory? And Yeah, I mean, we didn't do any shows for quite a while yeah. after Zach's yeah. death. And it's... Never really thought about it to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I didn't really do. I didn't really didn't really enter my mind that much. Yeah. it was nice. I mean, we've had Stevie playing with us for the last ten years. Yeah, uh, it was nice when I had Richard from Poply itself playing as well. That yeah. was good fun. Um, it, but it does it does feel like there's a hole there. Yeah, it does feel like EMF will never be the same as what it yeah. was, which is strange, isn't it? But no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. He's your schoolmate, right? Yeah, yeah, your schoolmates. Yeah, and best right. mates and stuff. So yeah, and it's. But I think EMF fans always remember Zach really fondly. Yeah, I mean, he's a legend. He's so funny. Uh, Some of the antics. And, and I said to you, like, when I played shows of his um, band that he'd done post-EMF, he was delightful. He was yeah. so kind yeah, and, 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 and really, really, like, come straight up to us. And as I said mm. to you before, and Zach from EMF, we was like, holy shit. And, and he was just so welcoming and was... was yeah, dig into our rider and was sharing his beers with us and stuff and like you know <laughs> when it says you know don't meet your heroes well you know we did and he was a joy yes. an absolute joy he probably just wanted people to drink with and party <laughs> with <him. laughs> not play your dad we was more than up for it mate we was Maybe. more than up for it <laughs> alright okay um, so favourite song from an artist from your hometown well, when you said, when I got the, the brief, I thought you meant county. It was I, county. All oh, right, and I was thinking, I was looking at my postcode, and even though I say I live in Yorkshire, my postcode actually says Lancashire, and I was thinking, Pans from Lancashire, are you having a laugh? There's like, you know, he can reel off a million. Yeah. And then, you know, and I love the Lars. Um, and I, I, did pick I don't get it. Eh? I don't get it. Oh, do you not like no? I just don't get oh, it. Wow, oh, this is contentious. And like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> as a. As a Indie DJ, I had about five years where I just could not play There She Goes anymore because I just heard oh, it to yeah, death, no, no, right? No, I can't hear that. That's like an unbelievable, isn't but, it? Yeah. But I've since 
got back to it and I just think it's an, it's an amazing record. It's an amazing single. It's pop singer, but yeah. I just don't get that band. And everyone I know that loves their music is like, mate, what do you mean you don't fucking love the last? I'm like, I just can't get it. I don't know what it is. It just doesn't... That's fair enough. I mean, music, that's what music does yeah. to people, isn't it? I know I should like <laughs> it. Know, I know it, I should. Is it interesting? Everything, everything on the, you know, in All the right, rest so of the book. I didn't book. pick the Lars anyway, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking, the, I, got, I grew up in um, Gloucestershire and there was only one band from Gloucester. I can't think of any bands from Gloucester. The only band I was thinking is a band called Apple Mosaic, which was Ian Dench's original band. Yes. And the song I picked is Honey If. Yeah. Uh, and I really do think it's an un, it's a forgotten indie pop classic, and that's exactly what. what who says that on Radio Six the other day? Famous DJ. Keithney. Keithney Lamac. Lamac. That's yeah. exactly what Lamac said. So if he's if he says that, I can say that. Oh, so Lamac played it the other night. This was about a few months ago. Oh, actually. wicked. Yeah, yeah. Wicked. <laughs> but he says it was a forgotten indie classic, and yeah. I, I agree with him. I, I I wasn't overly familiar with it, no. um, and I. I went on on YouTube and I've been watching Apple Mosaic videos and that and it's it's that weird thing of when like you're familiar with with, with people's faces and you know growing up Ian Denchy's face was very familiar yes, and, yeah. and it's just always something really sweet about seeing them when they're <laughs> you know really young just you really, know yeah, it's yeah, brilliant yeah. and oh, yeah that's good yeah Obviously, his guitar was accomplished by then, his guitar playing and stuff. Some of the licks on that, yeah. on that album. And so, would you travel up and watch him, yeah? Yeah, we used to go up to Gloucester. Yeah, yeah, they were they, yeah, they're big influences on us. I used to think they were a bit weird, but... Yeah. Because they used to wear, like... They didn't really have their look sorted. They yeah. Were a bit, I think they were indie, but they were kind of into the doors, and they used to have psychedelic tie-dyed shirts that they made. They looked rubbish, really. <laughs> and then when I got Ian Dench to come and join our band, I said, look, I'm going to wear feeler tracksuits and stuff. <laughs> he just looked at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember, because um, uh, uh, in regards to EMF and style, it, it just never lacked for me. And I, I remember, and, and Jason Perry talks about this as well on, on the episode and it was like I remember seeing you guys I mean pre the second album like mm. you know you were wearing the skate gear and the skaters yeah, we was yeah. like this is this is you know and, and as was Jesus Jones it was like they're yeah, wearing some cool it. shit yeah. and then when you performed they're here on top of the pops mm. I was like fuck me they've upped it like you know dreads were in effect like glove hats like just yeah. look the bollocks, mate. Yeah. Look really solid. And then when the third album dropped, that first picture you used on a beach, yeah? Yes. Fuck me. It's like, man, I've even incorporated the fucking Beastie Boys. It just looked perfect. It was like such but a strong stars. look, mate. You know, a lot of that came from Derry, I think. Was it? Yeah, I think Derry was a massive influence on, on how we looked and what we were into. Derry was a massive influence for Stop, actually. He was, just before we started EMF, he dragged us down to Exeter to see a band called Jesus Jones. Right. And we'd never seen a band like this before. And I think, not that I would ever say that I, uh, they were influencing, but they did. <laughs> yeah, it's exclusive that. Don't, say, don't tell Ian Baker that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, the first song I ever heard in the club I work at when I walked in was Info Frico. Yeah, that was uh, amazing, wasn't it? What a record that is. Great. The great. energy in there. I think that was one of the first ones. Guitar, angry guitars yeah. and synthesizers. Absolutely. 
It was Absolutely. great. It was, a, it was such a refreshing record that was. Yeah. 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 And yeah, some serious energy in that record mm. as well. Mm. Okay, so before we get on to the, the, the last track, I, I want to ask you about um, nostalgia and like, because you're playing as EMF um, we are. And, and stuff like that. Like, what, what's your view on nostalgia in music? Do you know what I mean? Like, in regards to because yeah, I used it, to, I used to look down on it. To be honest right, with you. That, that, you know, when my parents they go to, they used to go to fifty reviews and watch Freddie and the Dreamers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like we've hit that market now. These nineties festivals, it is all about nostalgia and going back and reliving your youth. Have you changed your opinion on it? I have changed. The, the only thing that's different is that the bands are great. Nineties bands are brilliant. You know, maybe fifties bands were brilliant as well, but you know, there is something quite cool. And these, yeah. they, you know, you go and watch Happy Mondays. They might have lost their groove a little bit, but what a great experience! And it does take you back. So yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's amazing. And I spoke to um, Mark Morris from the Blue Tones, yes. and and he was quite uncomfortable with it at first. Yeah. And there's and something I, a little bit uncool about it, but I don't think so. I, no. I think that for me initially. Pre the kind of 90s festivals like Shine and things like that, yeah. I used to go and watch, I'd go and watch Jane's Addiction perform Ritual and they'd come over and they'd play that album or yeah. I'd go and watch the Pixies play Doolittle or Lemonheads play Show That Ray and it was like, and for me, I mean, aside from Evan Dando and Perry Farrell who still look 21, yes. like, that's ridiculous. That? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just absolute joy and it's like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm for... I'm going back there to listen to music I absolutely love yeah. and it triggers memories of, of a time where there was a lot more innocence about my life and, and, right, and excitement. Okay. I'm, I'm with you then, I'm with you then. And, and I, think yeah. it's, I think it's absolutely amazing and the fact that you can now go to a festival and see so many of the bands that fill up your record collection, Yes. that's amazing. And yeah, like, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, think I there's anything uncool about it at all. Like, you know, there, there's no reason why you have to not listen to what's new and, and, and coming out because I still do that. But them records are just as valid now as they were then. Yeah. And to hear them play live, it's an absolute joy. And you know, there's people at these Shine festivals and indie days and that, they absolutely love it. You know, amazing. And I think that perhaps people are... A young, younger at heart now, I think. Yes. So yeah, I turned fifty the other day. And like, <laughs> you're looking good on it, James. And like, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm 45 and I still mm. love to go out and watch bands and jump around. Yeah. And yeah. Like, but yeah, absolutely. It's and a I, mindset, isn't it? Completely. That's all it is, mate. Yeah. And uh, and I, and I think the people that are doing these festivals and you know. There's clearly a fucking huge market for it. People love these bands and want to go and enjoy them. Yeah. Nothing uncool about that. They, they can still play and they were really good. They were good back then and they're good now. Absolutely, mate. You know. Final track. Okay, I have. I've got to have to do a change on this one, you know, Stuart. Okay. Because so this is, this is a song that many may not know. So you get a chance to, to, to suggest a song that they listen to. Can I choose one of my own songs or not? Of course you can. We've got to talk about your album yet. Well, can I pick a tune from my album? Let's do that. <laughs> okay. 
I uh, okay. This is a song called Western Love, and it's on my new album. And I, and it's a track that no one's heard because it hasn't been released yet. Okay. And When's the album out? It's out the 21st of April, so it's very soon. Available. The pre-releases are available at James Atkin Music, and there is some CDs. Although they're almost sold out, amazingly enough. And the album is called Popcorn Storm. Where'd that come from? It came from a friend's daughter who said it one day randomly. And I thought, yes, we'll have that. <laughs> I did have to credit her on the album. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you... Let's talk about the, sort of the writing process for this now. And, okay. and, and how's that? Obviously, is it all done by yourself? It is, yes. Yes. Um, there is one song where I collaborated with Ian from EMF. Um, but yeah, it's all, all self-written. Do you enjoy making music still? Absolutely love it, yeah. So how do you... Because obviously, back in the day, there, there, there was no children and things like that. It was uh, no pun intended on the EMF song there. Um, but there was, um, you know, it was in the studio and get on with it. But now you're a teacher and you've, you've got a family. So how, how does music fit in and around that? Well, I think it's quite healthy to be creative. Um, it's a bit of escapism as well. I've got a little home studio set up. So, and I do seem, I don't, I seem to have more time on my hands now. I think it's because I'm out partying less and, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, not recovering half my life like yeah. I used to be. Um, so I find time. And it's nice when you're doing it yourself. You can just dip in, dip out whenever you want when the mood takes you. I mean, it's still taking me 18 months to write it. It's not like yeah. I've, I've had two weeks in the studio or anything. Yeah, yeah, you know course. what I mean? It's, but what a lovely way to work, just, you know, experiment, playing around. And frankly, I've come up with some finished products. You know? Fantastic. Live shows? There's a few coming in. Uh, the next one is the K-Fest in 4th of August with the Lightning Seeds. So we're playing with them. Uh, this is EMF? No, this is a solo album. Right, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's just me on my own. Uh, there, is, there is some EMF shows and there's some Bentley Rhythm Ace shows. So yeah, Amazing. Keeping, keeping them busy. Fantastic. Really we haven't even spoken about Bentley Rhythm Ace, have we? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's there to say? <laughs> <laughs> it's just been the same for the last 25 years, that band. It's just, I still don't know the names of the songs. Just get on stage, play. And they, we've been doing the same set for 25 years, I think. Brilliant. It's the same dat. <laughs> okay, James, thank you so much oh, for, you. for finding the time Brilliant. to do this today. I've absolutely loved it. Great. Uh, and it's such a fun chat. If it's cool with you, I will tag you in everything so people um, that may not be following you on social media that listen to this can then find out all about you and go and buy the album and, and find out about the live shows and stuff. Brilliant, but it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank really, you so much, really mate. Really enjoyed that. I wish we could go on longer. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> there you have it. Off the Beaten Track podcast with James Atkins of EMF finished. It was a, it was a lovely chat, that. Absolutely absolutely was thrilled to do that and and as as seems to be the case now with 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 so many of them like when it finishes we just press stop and then then carry on chatting and it's brilliant it, 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 one of the things that I, I like most about doing this podcast is you make new mates and and it's really weird when you make new mates with the people you grew up listening to and watching on the telly and watching at gigs it's 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 amazing i'm living the dream i really am um and thank you so much for all 
listening and, and, and coming on that journey with us. And I hope you get as much pleasure out of listening to it as I do recording it. And, uh, and yeah, so thanks once more to James. Thanks to you lot. Thanks to Distraction Pieces Network. I will see you next time. Remember, www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Go and have a look. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. 